Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Daily Hammer and Happy New Year, Braves country. Sean Coleman here with you with the Talking Chop Podcast Network and the Daily Hammer. You can find myself at StatsSAC on Twitter. Of course, the Daily Hammer is part of the Talking Chop Podcast Network with the Talking Chop Podcast, of course, the Road to Atlanta Podcast, all the great written content at TalkingChop.com and at Talking Chop across all forms of social media. And I am very happy to welcome former Talking Chopper, but one half of the great duo over at the Platinum Sombrero Podcast, Mr. Adam Herbert. You can find him at Braves Herbert, but also it's Doc Herbert. So many names. We'll go with Doc. Adam, Doc, whatever. How are you doing this afternoon, sir? (laughs) (laughs) I'm great, Sean. Thank you so much for for having me back. I've been thinking about doing this episode ever since we wrapped up the last one. This, This is such a fun little series. I mean, what is what Adam is referring to is the fact that we are doing a, a mini series, not not too good, too good with organization, but you know, over the next uh, several weeks, we'll probably do a, probably about four or five more of these. Back in early December, we did our first retracing the steps to a title, looking at how significant pieces of the 2021 roster came to be due to past trades, past signings past decisions. In our first episode, me and Adam looked at the decision to go with Freddie Freeman in the 2014 offseason, I believe. Yeah, the 2014 offseason, extending Freeman with his current extension that just ended this past year, while also within the 12 months after that, trading away Jason Hayward, as well as Justin Upton. And Adam, when those decisions were made, what occurred was, was that the Braves made the decision as to who the face of their franchise was going to be through a rebuild they were facing. They obviously made the right decision. But of course, I believe that it was November 7th. It was right after the World Series, the 2013 World Series. It popped up on my Facebook feed a few, uh, you know, right after we won the World Series this year. The Braves trading, uh, Jason Hayward, who was one year away from free agency, as well as Jordan Walden, who they had acquired, um, I think a few off seasons before for Tommy Hansen, Jason Hayward and Jordan Walden, to the Cardinals for, at the time, very good young pitcher Shelby Miller, or at least prospect-wise, as well as relief prospect Tyrell Jenkins. When that news occurred seven years ago, your initial thoughts? So I think that we had mentioned this during last week's episode. Like The Braves' front office, the people above Frank Renz, the people who were in charge of his destiny, decided they weren't even going to let him finish out the 2014 season, and it was like, you know, the 22nd of September or so. And John Hart, when he was introducing the new GM, John Coppolella, and I think Sherholtz was there, they were talking about walking parallel paths. You know, we're going to try and win now and win later. And 
aspect that was all lip service because it was to they were totally ripping it down to the studs. So, and you had seen some of the the smaller trades, like you know they traded Frank Wren's son. That was the first the first trade of the rebuild, and uh, and then they traded Tommy Lastella, and and both of those were kind of like all right, whatever. These are role players. These are you know Frank uh, Kyle Wren is isn't even a major league player. He's not even really a prospect. So when the Hayward news hit, it's like okay, we're really gonna test parallel paths thing. Because nobody remembers Hayward's first swing. You know, the first at bat, the, that home run off of Zambrano and the, the legendary call. It was just a seminal moment in Braves history, you know. And as a player, he hadn't really continued to evolve in that way that everybody thought he was going to. He, he dealt with a shoulder injury. Uh, he had been hit in the face, all these different things. And so you're looking at it going, this is somebody with one year left on his deal that has kind of been underwhelming, for, for lack of a better term. And personality was so much harder to lose than the actual player, you know, just because he was such an affable guy. That's why he and Freddie always got looped together is because they're so, they're so joyous. And they're always, they've got the, the thousand-watt smile, you know. And then when I traded, it was the gut punch of saying, oh, no, this is, this is one of my favorite um, – favorite personalities on the team, but also now it's starting to get real. And you're looking around and saying, oh, well, we still got Justin Upton and we still got Evan Gaddis and we've still got Freddie Freeman and we've, st we've still got these guys that, that we can hang our hat on here. But it became really, really hard to see a path where, where they weren't going to do exactly what they did, which is start to trade the other guys. For me, what did you think when you saw that happen? My thoughts on the trade, Adam, were, were simply this, is that, you know, you being, I don't know if, if you how long you've been in Georgia, but you at the time uh, were, you know, if you were in Georgia, you're surrounded by, you know, Braves country. You're surrounded by all things Braves, which I think is heaven on earth when it comes to baseball. But when it comes to myself, I'm in West Tennessee, so I'm surrounded by all things Cardinals. My friends, my family, the, you know, the people outside my immediate family who I interact with the most are all Cardinals fans. And my initial thoughts was that this was just a trade that made sense for both teams. Unfortunately, just a few weeks before the Jason Hayward trade to the Cardinals, what probably played a part in that occurring was the Cardinals lost Oscar Tavares. Unfortunately, a very untimely death, just a, an outstanding, talented prospect. You could make the case at the time he was the Ronald Acuna Jr., when it came to just an uber prospect, outfield prospect coming up through the ranks, about to embark on his career, unfortunately was lost in an automobile accident. Just an just a unspeakable tragedy, especially with how young and talented he is. The Cardinals lost him in late October. Not to make light of that situation, but what that did was it left them with a clear opening that they needed. And they had bigger contention aspirations than the Braves did. So they traded for Hayward, hoping he could be an anchor for their lineup. And I thought that it made perfect sense because the Braves had already made their decision, right? The Braves had made their decision the previous offseason where they weren't going to extend Jason Hayward. You didn't know a lot about his offense still because he was so inconsistent. You don't want to overpay for defense. So I actually, despite the fact of initially being mad, that the Braves traded away the, the beloved Jason Hayward, who rightfully 
for many years was looked at as the future of the franchise. I was okay with it because you got six years of a Shelby Miller or five years of a Shelby Miller who had the pedigree that he had to potentially be an A. So I actually was okay with it much quicker than I thought I would because it's a trade that made sense for both teams where they were on that competitive ladder. And you were excited to see the Braves making a move for a player that you hoped would get them back to the root of what had made them so successful for two previous decades, which was pitching. That is that is actually a really good point. You know, the, the really interesting thing in retrospect, and I, and I didn't notice this uh, at the time, but like, when you get to the, the 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 subsequent deals, like when they when they traded away Justin Upton and Evan Gaddis, and then the following season when they when they traded Anderson Simmons, it was all prospects. This Hayward deal, okay, so we were talking about like the front office and talking about walking parallel paths. We're going to try and win now without fully ripping it down. Well, even for as much of a gut punch as that trade was, you could still look at it and say, okay, well, this is Shelby Miller. I mean, he was just a top 15 prospect in the game. You know what I mean? This guy is obviously really good. And he showed up and he, he pitched great for us, which was, was the last great season of his career. But it did kind of give you the feeling like, all right, well, maybe, maybe it's not going to be that bad. You know, that the 2015 season had its charms about it, and the first half of it was pretty good. And Shelby Miller was responsible for a lot of the goodness that we were feeling after having traded off Hayward, et cetera. And that's the thing that occurred, was that when that happened, when we traded away Hayward and we got Shelby Miller, we were all hoping that this would be a big deal, like that the that the Braves would be able to make the most of having Shelby Miller be the anchor of their team for years to come, but that did not wind up happening. Over the two years, the next two off-seasons that occurred when Shelby Miller was acquired and then Tyrell Jenkins was acquired, Shelby Miller, I believe he led the league in losses in the 2015 season, but pitched much better than that. There were times where he looked very, very good, especially you know coming close to, I believe it was a perfect game or no hitter in Miami. And because of that, just like the year before, in 2014 in the off-season, the card looking to contend, the Diamondbacks were looking to contend. So in a very famous lunch that's now well-known on December 8, 2015, the Braves traded Shelby Miller to the Diamondbacks for Dansby Swanson, Aaron Blair, and Ender Ciarte. When you consider of what a player had shown at the major league level for the level of prospects, especially a former number one overall prospect like the Braves have got in Dansby Swanson, it certainly seemed like for the second time in five years, the Braves had swindled the Diamondbacks. And then, of course, a year later, the Braves trade Tyrell Jenkins for Luke Jackson. Fun fact, Adam, both those trades happened on December 8th. December 8th, 2015 was the Shelby Miller trade, and December 8th, 2016 was the Tyrell Jenkins trade. But basically, we so from Jason Hayward and the two years after that, we took what we got. So basically, we traded Jason Hayward and Jordan Walden for Dansby Swanson, Aaron Blair, Indurin Ciarte, and Luke Jackson. Adam, when you your initial thoughts on that Shelby Miller trade at the time that it happened, I, I was just beyond excited. Like, this is the type of trade. I'm not saying it's the on the level of extending an Ozzy Albies and Ronald Acuna Jr. within the same week, but this is the type of trade that really gets you excited about really trying to accelerate a rebuild with the turn, return that we got. No doubt. I, I remember being at my, my wife's Christmas party at the time and not having a great time and like sneaking off to the bathroom and looking at my phone and then just seeing, staring at the notification that we just acquired Gansby Swanson and, uh, you know, and he was 
you know, just six months before, not even, had been number one pick in the draft, the stud at Vandy, one of the top prospects in the game. I mean, even if it had just been Miller for Swanson outright, you know, that would that still would have wound up being a really good deal. Um, but the fact that you got Enciarte, who wound up being an all-star um, in 2017, was just, was just huge. I could not believe – I could not believe that that Arizona was willing to surrender so much. I mean, it, when you look at Miller's season, you hit the nail on the head, man. Like, he, yeah, he went 6-17, and 17, but he – but losses are, you know, they're a little bit of an archaic stat to, to really value somebody by if you're using just losses. You know, they, they have their place. But, um, but, you know, you have a lot better metrics you can use than just that. And the winter meetings are a place where, where you tend to get some, some really, really big deals done. And it had been tracking, like, and after the Hayward deal, that was like the writing was on the wall. You know, the, uh, the, the Braves are, are looking to – looking to get creative here. And it had been a year since that. We had just gone 67 and 95 or 65 and 97. It was bad. I, <laughs> I don't know if it matters whether it was a 95 or 97 loss season, but um, everybody kind of knew where we were. And because of that, even when you're, you're dangling somebody like a Shelby Miller or, 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 you know, or any of these guys that wound up being traded over the course of this rebuild, um, when the other team knows that you're going out of your way to trade this player, you don't have a lot of leverage. So, or not as much as you might like. So when you see a deal like that, you know, NCRT was fine in Arizona. There wasn't necessarily an indication that he was going to be an all-star here. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that there weren't any, a lot of other viable all-stars because Freddie got hurt in 2017. But um, just those two, that's, that's humongous, absolutely massive deal. And when you're looking at 2021, you have Dansby Swanson, who, a historically frustrating player who, if you look at the full, the full scope of his season, it looks fine. But if you catch him in the middle of like a five for 64 slump where he's striking out 45% of the time, then it's, you know, it's really kind of hard to stay on board uh, for something like that. And then the Luke Jackson side of that deal as the, the Tyrell Jenkins piece, I mean, absolutely indispensable. He was such a divisive reliever for 2017, 18, and 2019 is when he took his really big step forward and he, he was the closer when we just didn't have one. And 2020 was a step back. But 2021, Luke Jackson was just completely indispensable. And so to take one deal and turn it into two players who are just so such divergent skill sets and but such significant contributors for something as important as the World Series title, I mean, that's John Coppolella has a really complicated legacy. Uh, I, I think as complicated is about as good of a word as I can use there. But that deal, absolute masterclass in, in swindling another GM. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. And it goes to the story of baseball and what just... 
Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Makes it such a damn beautiful part of sports, right? Because look at it this way. You've got so many different aspects of this deal where you have seen the top of their expectations and unfortunately things not working out. Aaron Blair obviously was a prospect many had high hopes for. Injuries just never allowed for him to really develop. Yes, he made a couple of appearances for Atlanta, but unfortunately he was a bust. It just didn't work out. Ender Ciarte had that all-star year. Frank Wren probably got a bit too, or John Coppola and others probably got a bit too excited with that extended team, thought it could be a team-friendly deal. They could wind up trading, um, you know, like they did with um, uh, Andrew Elton Simmons. It didn't work out because Enciarte just couldn't wind up hitting. And so even though Blair and Enciarte over time weren't long-term pieces, they still, the Enciarte deal that you got, that still was value for it. But at the end of the day, with what Dansby Swanson has become, what Luke Jackson has become, you're perfectly fine with it. But Adam, let's not forget, part of this also needs to be attributed to Alex Anthopoulos. One of the reasons why is because of the patience that he had with Swanson and Luke Jackson, who during this stretch of four playoffs, there were times when there were sincerely questions at the end of the 2019 year, when Swanson was struggling so bad with an injury, should we put him on a, a postseason roster. Should he start? Luke Jackson, I believe, was left off of, I want to say, the 2019 roster at times because of the fact that he was struggling with his control. And what happens? Swanson comes back in 2020, has an outstanding year, comes back this year, comes up clutch when we need him the most. Jackson did as well. So even though both of these players had ha- have had their struggles, have had their lows, Alex Anthopoulos and the team stuck with them kept working with them. And as you mentioned, Luke Jackson was indispensable. Dansby Swanson once again came up clutching the World Series. It all paid off more than anybody expected. It just didn't pay off in the route that probably made the most sense or many expected. But at the end of the day, it's a move you do 100 times out of 100. Absolutely. And when when you listen to interviews with Will Smith, current Braves closer Will Smith, he talked about his resurgence in the playoffs and how, I mean, he was elite absolutely elite level in the playoffs. And somebody asked him why. And he said, because they never gave up on me. I mean, everybody in Braves country was calling for Will Smith's head or calling for his job at the very least at some point during the season. But it says a lot to a player, you know, when, when you keep that confidence and say, look, this is your job. You know, you're struggling right now. Baseball is a game of failure. If you, if you fail, 14 times out of 20, you're an all-star. If you fail 13 times out of 20, you're an inner circle Hall of Famer. You know what I mean? It's a game based on failure. So it takes a lot of patience sometimes. And and as a as a fan, you know, we're we're all guilty of it. But, I mean, when your job's on the line, when you're Alex Anthopoulos or when you're Brian Snicker and you just keep running this guy out there, it's got to be really, really frustrating. But these guys earn the patience that you give them, you know, somebody like Dansby, was he worthy of being a number one overall pick? 
Ah, maybe, maybe not. You know, he's he's definitely with the top ten. But you know, when you when you get into uh, what it means to be a, a number one overall pick, I mean, they're staking a lot on you. They're giving, even though the Diamondbacks are the one that gave him like the signing bonus, they're giving you a lot of money. And the Braves traded Shelby Miller, who they could have traded for any number of prospects, you know. But this was the guy that they that they wanted. So they uh, and different front office, but the. Um, or different people that are making the trades. But, I mean, you definitely, when you were Alex Anthopoulos, you step in, you know all about Danby, you know all about his story, you know all about his struggles. So you know that you're going to have to be patient with him too. And for prospects bust, you just talked about Aaron Blair, who I personally thought was going to be the guy out of, out of that trade. Full, uh, full disclosure on that. I was, I was totally wrong. But prospects just bust. So – and being an executive, you have to know that. And you have to give somebody 10, 15, 30 chances when they maybe don't deserve them, but you never know. You look at some guys that have late career resurges where they, they don't figure it out till they're 30, you know? And, uh, you know, some sometimes excessive patience like that really can just pay off in ways that even the, the person who is being patient, it, it can pay off in ways that they never would have seen coming. That's what it did. You know, Dansby Swanson may not have turned into the all-star that we all had hoped that he would. But when he's been healthy over the past three years, he's shown above-average power. He's shown good to above-average defense. He's shown that when he's healthy, he can be a two-to-three war player, though a lot of that has come into very good, you know, very good parts of a streak and very cold parts of, you know, being streaky when it comes to his offensive play. So then, Adam, let's shift it now to where, Obviously, the Hayward deal through the trade trees that we've talked about has absolutely paid off. Luke Jackson, obviously, is still under a few years of control. But while we're all waiting to hear about Freddie Freeman, though it may not be as huge of a deal or as significant of a valuable player as Freeman, next offseason, potentially, we're going to run right into this again with Dansby Swanson. And the Braves do not, in my opinion, have a clear contingency plan. I don't think many are potentially excited about, for instance, Braden Shoemake. I believe that, yeah, our, our top pick, I believe, is in 2020. I don't think that a lot of people, no offense to him, I think that he is a fine prospect, not necessarily a top one. I don't think a lot of people think he, running him out as our starting shortstop in 2023, makes a ton of sense. But without a clear contingency plan, but a player in Dansby Swanson, who if he puts together another 25 home run season, you're potentially looking at him, looking at these deals other shortstops are getting this offseason and thinking, I could get four, five, six years, potentially 15 to 20 million a year. I threw out five years, 90 million as an amount itself. When you think of the cost that it potentially would take to keep Swanson and with all the different stuff that goes into it, his play, how much the crowd loves him, how much he loves the Braves, when you consider that and the fact that the Braves really don't have another answer, despite going out and acquiring a significant player, does that tend to make you see, say, even if you may be a little bit uncomfortable with what he could cost, you would pay to keep Swanson around if it costs you 15 to 20 million over four to five years? What are your thoughts on a potential extension for Swanson? I already used the term historically frustrating with Dansby, and let me elaborate on that before I say anything. I mean, if not for Dansby's August, he would have hit like 210 this year, you know, and, but but he did have that August, you know, that pulled his batting average up 40 points and pulled his slugging up 100 points because one series in particular against Washington, I remember he was, he was just as on fire as any player you've ever seen. I mean, he was raking all month long. 
when you zoom out, you get the bird's eye view of his whole season. He's somebody that hit 250, 325, 475, or so, somewhere somewhere around there. I'm not reading this. I'm just going off of memory. I know he was a three-war player, and he had 27 home runs. And this had to be pointed out to me by Dylan Short, who I do the Platinum Sobrero with, who is historically – we'll just say he's very anti-Dansby. The most important thing about Dansby Swanson is the fact that he makes every every routine play. Every routine play. Look, look. people glamorize Jeter and making this giant, huge, oh, my goodness, can you believe he made that play? And now it's, it's Tatis or it's Simmons or it's or whoever. Those plays happen like once every 50, 60 plays. Dansby, like, so the other 49, 59 plays in between, routine grounder. And Dansby gets it every single, every single time, every single time. So, look, the flashy stuff is great. But being rock solid, being able to do your job repetitively, it's a testament to Dansby's ability to do the regular things good. It's also a testament to Ron Washington. Now, he can make that giant, can you believe he just made that play? But the routine stuff, the stuff he's going to be doing 90% of the time, 95% of the time, then that's really important. When you zoom out all these things, you see a guy who's a three-win player is going to hit you 25 to 30 home runs and give you fantastic everyday defense. Even if he's frustrating in May, he hits 150 in May and 410 in June, it all evens out in the end. You know, and sometimes, you know, we can debate clutch genes and we can debate clubhouse chemistry, but he's a guy that he's kind of a pillar of this team, whether you like him or not. And, yeah, he struggled with injury and he struggled with the bat sometimes, but that's somebody, three-win player, the number used to be $8 million per win. So in theory, he would have been worth $24.8 million just this past season. Is is he going to recreate that? Maybe not. I don't even know if the $8 million number is still accurate, but it does paint the picture. You're, you saying 5 and 90? I can't believe I'm about to say this, but if I'm, if I'm Dansby, I, whenever I sign my contract, whether it's an extension with the Braves or, or next offseason he goes and signs with whoever, I'm – Call it. I'm going to find contact information for Javi Baez and Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon and Carlos Correa because Correa is going to get paid too. And I'm going to send all of them a gold watch because they all made Dansby Swanson about $25 million just by signing these outrageous deals. Thank you, Texas Rangers. Um, so I, I could see five and 90 might actually be light and it's not necessarily because of Dansby as a player but it's more so about just the market around him you know um it's similar with with the Freddie thing if the Braves had uh signed him before uh Steve Cohen decided that his prime directive wasn't going to be to spend money but to make other people spend money then they could have sell, saved themselves a lot so now Freddie's going for making 25 million a year to 32 or whatever the number is going to be so uh, that's kind of the advantage you have of of locking it down early. But then the question becomes, is he going to be able to recreate this season? Uh, is he is he going to have his health about him? I mean, there's a lot that goes into signing five, six-year contracts, uh, whether it's somebody who's been able to stay healthy like Freddie or somebody who's going to struggle with it like Dansby. Let's and, and and I agree with you. I, I would say that five years ninety. I throw it out there just as kind of a compromise. I, I don't really see mm-hmm. a reason why 
Dansby has really any, you know, reason to do that unless he just wants to stay with Atlanta. I think Atlanta, that probably is a big commitment for them. But I agree with you. It, it, I'll, I'll put it to you like this. Even as streaky as he may be, if Dansby Swanson puts together another year in 2022, like he did in 2021, coming off his 2020 year as well, telling you straightforward, Dansby Swanson has every right, it is perfectly logical, to, to ask, for a nine-figure deal with putting that type of two-year stretch together before free agency, especially, as you mentioned, Adam, with the players that have you know made 160 for Baez total, 310 million for Seager. We'll see what Story, as well as others, I think Story is probably a very interesting free agent to watch as well. But I agree with you. And once you talk about Dansby getting over $100 million, then you start to be like, it's reasonable for him to ask, do you feel the Braves want to make that type of big commitment the second year in a row after signing Freeman? It'll be quite interesting, but I think people need to be prepared for that. I think whatever commitment you see the Braves make, it's going to probably be for around $20 million a year, and it's probably going to approach or go over $100 million. It's just going to be very interesting to see, and I think will be one of the more talked about subjects as we go over the next year. But at the end of the day, if you can lock him in, you could do a lot worse than someone who's as consistent with him, at least with the glove, and can provide so much, especially in the postseason with the bat. Yeah, and and like I said, we can talk about the clutch gene if you want, but if it actually exists, Dansby's got it. And, you know, one other thing to consider about a long-term extension there is that people always look at the Acuna and all these extensions, and, and those were um, – I'll just say I hope they fired their agents after that. But when Ozzy signed, it was for three hundred and fifty thousand. When he signed out of Curacao, and when Acuna signed out of Venezuela, it was a hundred thousand, I think. Um, Dansby signed for like five point two million. You know what I mean? So if you're if you're Ozzy, and you know you had your three hundred fifty thousand, and say we'll give you forty million dollars, it's like sold. Even if I'm worth more than that, that's guaranteed. I'm taking that. I don't have any reason to not take that money, even even if you think you're worth more than that. Same thing for Acuna, maybe even more so. But with Dansby, he's like, I'm a millionaire. I've been a millionaire since I was, you know, since I left Vanderbilt. You know, he, Dansby has so much money right now, he is in no position to have to be desperate about it at all. He can sit and he can wait. If he wants to stay, I mean, he's a local kid. His entire brand is Atlanta. So he, he will probably – say a lot of the same things Freddie says about I would love to stay I would you know but but it's ultimately up to the team and the only players that the team has shown real deep incentive to keep around for a really 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 long time is Ronald Nazi so I mean we think they're going to resign Freddie we hope they do um but but no guarantees yet so I want to I'm as curious about Dansby's 2022 as I am about probably anybody And it's going, to, it's going to be very interesting to see as time goes on. So just a lot to take in, obviously, about this trade that occurred, leading Jason Hayward to Shelby Miller and Tyrell Jenkins, Jordan, Jordan Walden and, and Hayward, that eventually led to Dansby Swanson and Luke Jackson. Regardless of what the futures may hold for Swanson and Luke Jackson, they already have more than paid off their time in Atlanta with their contributions to the Braves' 2021 World Series title. But Adam, I think you're excited for this next one that we've got going on. In a couple of weeks, me and Adam are going to get back together and we're going to talk about the Justin Upton trade. 
that eventually led to the acquisition of Max Reed. Adam, are you pretty excited about that one? Oh, yes, sir, I am. And there's one little nugget I'm going to wait to drop till next week that nobody ever talks about with that deal that, that allowed us to do something else very creative. So, yeah, that's uh, that that was a very important deal. Yep, a couple of other moves within a year of the Hayward trade. We're also going to talk about the Craig Kimball trade. I'll have a few other guests to talk about other smaller deals that occurred. But me and Adam, this is starting that trade tree. Whenever that decision was made of going with Freddie, over Hayward and Justin Upton, though Upton and Hayward were not retained, several moves that branched out into smaller moves made huge contributions that led to significant members, several significant members of this phrase roster being together for this World Series run. Adam, before we head out, do you have anything going on to start the new year? Uh, thank you so much again for joining us. As always, it's it's an absolute pleasure getting to have a discussion with you, especially with how good of a fan you are and how knowledgeable you are as well. It's always a pleasure on my end, and Happy New Year to you. Hey, Happy New Year, new year to you too, man. It's and this this is great. I like like I said at the very beginning, this is such a cool idea for a series and and such a such a fun thing to walk down memory lane for. It it, it all seemed kind of painful at the time, you know, because it's just who could we possibly get rid of next? And now we're we just started the third month of our reign as World Series champions. So you know, it, it was it was all worth it. Um, yeah. Thanks, thanks for having me, Sean. And we'll we'll try it. Let's try try not to wait a month between these. I, I know that the the holidays were, are kind of problematic a little bit there, but truthfully, uh, nothing nothing going on really outside of just the usual stuff over at Platinum Sobrero. You can find us uh, at TPS underscore podcast on Twitter. Uh, we are also on Facebook, and we never check it. So find us somewhere else. <laughs> Another reason why I like enjoy I enjoy talking to Adam. Such a fun personality. You can catch Adam and Dylan Short, another very, very knowledgeable, enjoyable mind on the Platinum Sombrero podcast. You can find Adam at Braves Herbert. Also want to remind you, you can find the Talking Chop podcast, the Road to Atlanta podcast, and the Daily Hammer all at TalkingChop.com as well as at Talking Chop across all forms of social media. Coming up in January, though, not a lot of baseball news is going on. We're going to have some free agency outlooks. Obviously going to keep track of Andrew Jones, Billy Wagner's hopeful candidacy for a Hall of Fame run over the next three weeks. Not looking so favorable right now, but this potentially could lead to in the next few years good things happening. All those happening. Check out Scott Coleman's upcoming free agency series over at the Talking Chop Podcast Network, and we'll always keep you here with the latest happenings when it comes to the Braves and baseball. For for Adam Doc Herbert, who you can find at Braves Herbert on Twitter, myself at StatsSAC, hope you have a great afternoon, and we'll talk to you again soon here on The Daily Hammer. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G Podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. 